Oh, it's brilliant, brilliant to be gathered together, whether we're gathered remotely or whether we're gathered in this room. It's, it's great to be the people of God. And uh, from, from where I'm standing, it's, it's, it's especially lovely that there are people in the room. Uh, it's just, to me, it's just like I haven't seen Mark Hopo for so long. It's a delight. It's just a delight. I'm so pleased to see you. Um, I just love I can see Agnes and, um, at the back there. And, and that's, that's beautiful. And that's, that's just so lovely. But actually, in terms of being God's family, it really is the same whether we're gathering and, and catching this by a stream or whether we're here in the room. We're, we're spiritually connected to be one community. And already this morning, I, I will preach at some point, already this morning, you know, we heard about John 3.16, the, universe, the universality of God's call, and, and Steve talked about the fact that we're his children, we're children of God, and, and Jason just, just finished the worship saying, you know, we, we are yours, and we are his people, you are his chosen child. Someone else at some point said the word treasured possession, you know, that's, that's God's heart towards you this morning, and, and actually... Whether or not you feel that really doesn't matter. It's still the truth. God has you in his heart, and you are, you are his treasured possession this morning. And I just feel God wants us to know his love for us this morning. So, so my name's Mark. I'm part of the leadership team here at Jubilee. And we're, we're looking today in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're carrying on a series that we've, we've been working through, looking at aspects of the kingdom of God. And the passage that we're going to look at today is in Matthew chapter 6. And it's verses 25 through to 34. And, and I'll start by reading the whole of that passage. And then we're going to look at a couple of things that come out of this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Can any, on, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. In, in other translations, it says the lilies of the field. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry after itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
So this passage says, therefore I tell you, and and it carries straight on from what we were looking at last week, which was about treasures. And and it talked about um, having your treasure in the kingdom of heaven. But it finished by saying, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. And then we launch straight into the passage that we're looking at right now. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about these things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. In other words... The very things that money provides. Um, So God is telling us we don't need to worry about our material needs. We don't need to worry about the things that money brings to us. Of course, God is speaking to people. God is speaking to the human condition. The fact is this. People do worry about those things. People do worry about the things, their needs that money provides. People do worry about what they'll be able to wear, how they're going to feed themselves, whether they've got enough to drink. People worry and are anxious about these things. In fact, recently in this country, there was a a recent survey by the Money Advice Survey, um, Money Advice Service, and they found one in, one in five people, it was 21% of UK adults, said that they're drowning in debt and money worries. Um, I thought that was a bit over the top, but that, that was the survey. And I'm, I'm guessing there's a number of statements, and you had to identify with the statement that best fits you. And the statement is drowning in debt and money worries. Uh, and many of these people said that their mental health has deteriorated as a result of this worry. Um, The same survey found that on average, people lose 46 minutes of sleep per night worrying about money. There's another survey in 2018 by the Mental Health Foundation, and it found similarly that one in five adults, 22%, said that not having enough money to meet their basic needs caused them stress. And this was one of the the top three sources of stress in this nationwide survey. And that's not contemporary British society. It is contemporary British society. It is the society we live in. People worry about money. People worry about the basics that they need for life. But actually, it's more than just our society. It's people. When God speaks, he speaks to issues that affect people. So people do worry, you know, and, it, and if you're one of those people and you are worrying about money, this is the category of person you're in, normal. It's, it's not an, an issue for someone to have these kinds of concerns. It's perfectly normal. It is actually the default human condition. But we're preaching about something which is not the default human position. We're preaching about the kingdom of God. We're teaching a kingdom counterculture that transforms people from the inside out and allows them to live a different life to that which is normal in society. So it says in verse 27, you know, we've established that people do worry and and this passage is telling us not to worry. It says in verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Well, I think pretty much that's a rhetorical question that, that 2,000 ago people knew the answer and the answer was no. I think, I think in modern times we know even more than worrying does not prolong life. I think we know 
that worrying actually negatively affects not only length of life, but worrying negatively affects quality of life. And, and I think probably at this stage, it'd be really helpful for me just to clarify what, I'm, what we're talking about by worry when we're saying worrying about enough to eat, enough to drink, worrying about having the clothes to wear. What we're not saying is, you know, you're about to cross the road and out of the corner of your eye you see a bus and you're like, oh, should I cross or not? I'm a bit worried. You know, we're not talking about that, oh, where are my keys? And, and that kind of like blind abject panic as you pat down every, every single pocket you can find and then, oh, phew, there they are. Uh, or, oh no, and you retrace your steps and you find them on the sofa. That, that, that is like the same kind of stress and anxiety, but it's, it's in response to just a moment in time. It's just, oh, is that bus too close or not? And then, you know, you get that spike of adrenaline, but it's all over within seconds. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that worry that corrodes. You know, when, it, when that survey finds out people can't sleep, um, the, 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 the deeper survey found it tended to be between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. at night. In other words, as people went to bed, their mind is replaying the problems that they have and they're churning them over. So someone said, all worry is, is negative meditation. It's reviewing and refreshing the things that are going on in your life, but doing so with a negative mindset. And it's that, it's that long-term, that living with worry, that living with concern that we're talking about here. Now, God is saying we don't need to live in a state of worry. The posh word, the posh word is chronic. It's chronic anxiety, chronic worry, chronic stress. And, and, you know, God is saying it won't add a second to your life, but we know it's worse than that. It's a corrosive thing. Uh, I, I've got a science background. I like to look at some scientific literature. I'll share with you just one study. Um, so this study is called Psychological Stress and the Human Immune System, a meta-analytical study of 30 years of inquiry. And it's by Susan Segerstrom and Gregory E. Miller. Uh, it goes on for about 47 pages. So let me just read you the headline. This study meta-analyzed more than 300 other studies and summed their data to create the big picture. We found chronic stressors were associated with suppression of both cellular and humoral human immunity. We could, we could spend all day looking at scientific study after scientific study after scientific study, and the big picture is long-term stress and worry are bad for your health. And we know that, don't we? There's a book I love, a scientific book. I absolutely love it. It's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And, and it's not that zebras don't get stressed. If you've ever been chased by a lion, you'll know it's pretty stressful. Um, I, I've only been chased by a lion once, and it was the other side of a very, very thick wire fence. And I, I was still cacking myself, to, to, to put it in the most simple terms I can. I mean... I knew there was no way this thing could get me, but I was really scared. Um, so I shouldn't have been bobbing around in front of it to wind it up, but, but that's another story. But zebras get stressed, 
but they don't live with stress. They're not sitting under a tree and slowly thinking about all the problems that they've got in life. And as a result, they don't get ulcers, but humans do. And as a result, they do get ulcers. And God says to us, you don't have to worry about these things. And neither do you have to chase after these things. And then he talks about the lilies in the field. And he reassures us and he says, look at these. Look at the lilies of the field. Each one of them is finer than the finest king could wear. So if I do that for them, how much more, how much more will I do for my children? We can live not in worry for material possessions, but we can live a burden-free life, confident that our God is our source, our provider, and he will supply what we need. That's our God. That's our God. You know, this, this uh, particular sermon is entitled The Kingdom and Confidence. You know, why are we a confident people? We're a confident people because we're a kingdom people, because our source is God. And that's, that's the message. You know, he's a deliverer. Um, he delivers us from anxious worry to confidence. He, deliver us, he delivers us from striving to receiving. And that's the message. That's the message this morning. That's, that's, that's the message for all of us, where, wherever we're, we're accessing this sermon from. And for many of us, that's the only message. But there's, there's a bit more in this passage that I want to bring out. For many of us, though, this, this message is very simple. God is saying to you, not just do not worry. He's saying to you, I've got this. You don't need to worry. Just give that worry over to me and be released from it. And we're going to pray at the end. And, it, and if you've got that nagging and gnawing worry in one moment, second of time, that deliverance from God can happen. That unlocking of the way your mind has worked and the way your life has been lived can happen. Because as you give it to God, he can give you that peace and that security and the confidence that comes from knowing that he will be your source. But I want to just look into one more aspect of this passage, which is, which is this. It is possible to grasp everything I've said and still get something a little bit wrong. Everyone in life thinks about things that used to happen earlier on in their life. And for me, there was, there was a period in my life where Christian posters were really popular. And you used to have these pictures of like a sunset or like a cloud with shafts of light piercing through it or a massive vista of some really beautiful place in the planet. Or there was another one which was like a a white dove flying upwards with a clear blue sky background behind it. And all these posters used to have in white font over the top, normally in the top right-hand corner, a little either kind of like truism about God or a little uh, scripture passage. And, and uh, the strap line, you know, you'd always get the one which was just clearly a beautiful part of the world, and it would say, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, or it'd be some like star nebulae, and in the belt would be the heavens declare the glory of God. But the one with the dove, the one with the dove flying upwards against the clear blue sky background used to have the, the, the lettering on the back saying, uh, let go and let God. 
Let go and let God. And that's just not quite right. There's an element of it that's right, but there's an element of it that's missing something. And there's something here in this passage that it is possible to miss. So we're released from the burden of worry. And instead, we have confidence in God's provision to us to meet our needs. Because he knows we have these needs. And he is our, our generous, loving, and giving father. But what that doesn't mean is we can simply just loaf around while God just keeps everything we need flowing to us. We let go and let God, but actually, actually, there's, there's an active participation element here, which we can overlook. Um, so, so it says, you know, as we follow God, as we seek to put his kingdom and his righteousness first, all these things will be, will be given to us. It's talking about seeking first the kingdom in our life, playing our part as a believer in society. And, and it's as we do that, then all these things. So if we just think, well, I'll just sit around and it'll all just happen. I mean, if that's our mindset, as Christians, when Christians were baptized, they may as well just have been held under just that little bit longer and gone straight to glory. You know, if there's, if there's no active role to play in society, why not just cut out the middle, you know, that middle phase and just go whew, straight up? So uh, what is that active role? I mean, for many of us, it includes paid employment. For many others, it's volunteering. It's bringing up children. It's looking after people. It's what we do all day long. Of course, seeking first the kingdom of God is spiritual. Of course, it's prayer. Of course, it's worship. But it's more than just those things that we might tag as spiritual. It's our whole lives. It's our whole lives that we seek first the kingdom with. Uh, I mean, it's pretty blunt in, one, in, in Thessalonians 2, 3. It says, the one who is unwilling to work uh, shall not eat. You know, and we're talking about the provision of all our basic necessities. So I think there's a link there. But, but for me, it's more helpful to talk about how we fit into society and how we do what God has called us to do. Because we need to understand, and it's not for today, but we need to understand that work means lots and lots of different things for different people. So sometimes we can over-spiritualize things and we can forget that everything we do from when we get up to when we go to bed is part of seeking first the kingdom of God. Uh, budgeting, budgeting is seeking first the kingdom of God. Budgeting is a good thing. In fact, you know, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And budgeting is an exercise of self-control. So, so, you know, there's... There's an element that we need to actively participate with God to unlock the fullness of God's promises towards us. And that's the, the, the second element of what I'm, what I'm bringing this morning. But the key thing, the number one thing, and the thing that, you know, you don't even need to be a Christian, you don't even need to believe in this Jesus to accept this, is the number one statement, don't worry because that corrosive worry 
is harmful for you. But the better thing than just accepting, okay, I'm going to try and do some kind of self-development where I stop worrying and I meditate on good things, which, by the way, even aside from any faith in Jesus, will still be of help, will still be of some usefulness. But the better thing, rather than just work on your own not to worry, rather than just decide not to live a lifestyle that other people live, the better thing is to focus on God and just rest in complete confidence. Complete confidence that as we heard this morning, we are his children, we are his. All, all who call on my name will be saved. With that confidence, he will meet all our needs. So we're going to pray, and then Dan's going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. Lord, we want to thank you for your heart towards us this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that for anyone right now who is saying, but that's been me. That's the way I live. And I want to stop living that way and instead just live a life where my confidence for all those things that I need comes from trusting you. Lord, I just pray right now that anyone who's saying that in their hearts, who's reaching out to you, that you will come right now and meet them and bring your deliverance and replace that worry with your peace. Amen.